I invite you to turn in your Bibles to James uh, chapter 1. What I'm going to do is I'm going to um, give a few words of review, then I will read our text and, uh, and pray. All right, first the review. Last week, uh, we broke ground on a sermon series uh, through the book of James. And we noted in James that he deals with all sorts of practical matters related to the Christian life. He's going to talk to us about hardship and adversity. We'll learn about prejudice and finances, sin and temptation, planning. He's going to teach us about prayer. He's going to have a couple large blocks of teaching on the tongue, meaning the words that we use, and we'll see why that's so important and how that relates to us as Christians and the Christian faith. But what we saw even though James deals with all this wide array of practical topics, the overarching theme of his letter has to do with faith. Now, the very first thing James talks about in his letter is trials. But he talks about trials as a proving ground for faith. He says in uh, Early on, he says, uh, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Now, trials serve two purposes in respect to our faith. On the one hand, trials prove our faith. They prove our faith showing that it is of God, showing that it is saving faith, showing, demonstrating that it is not mere presumption, but it is the work of God in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So trials prove our faith. On the other hand, trials improve our faith. Now that's an old school expression saying that it makes it better. So trials strengthen our faith by its exercise. So those two things, trials prove and they improve our faith. And because we know that trials bring to us the purpose of our Heavenly Father for us, we meet the trials that we face, counting it all joy. Now, that, that does not mean that we enjoy trials. But it means that we count it joy. We find joy in our trials the same way that our Lord Jesus did, who for the joy set before Him endured the greatest trial ever. And that is the cross. This morning, James continues to instruct us in handling trials in our lives. So let me read James 1, verses 5 through 11. Give ear to the reading of God's holy, inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word. If any of you lacks wisdom, 
Let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. This ends the reading of the very word of the living God. The title of this morning's message is A Word to the unwise. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, our Lord and our God, we ask that you would meet us now in the preaching of your word. For Christ's sake we pray. Amen. A family had an emergency at their home. Uh, It was winter, and the furnace had quit on them. And the outside temperatures were in the teens, and the thermostat inside their home read 41 degrees. So they called for uh, repair, and a service tech uh, showed up. And he, the service tech uh, took a look at, the fur- look at the furnace, and he uh, pulled off a faceplate, and he pushed a button. And the furnace uh, roared to life. And then he uh, wrote it out and handed the bill to the homeowner, $245. And the homeowner was not happy. He said, you've got to be kidding. You were here for, what, maybe 10 minutes? And all you did was push a button? I could have done that. And, uh, And the tech said, well, that's true, but you needed to know what button to push and when to push it. Uh, That service tech displayed not only uh, knowledge, he also displayed know-how. And that's what James tells us about this morning. Know-how. It's called wisdom. We can define wisdom as the skill Skill in living biblically. That's what we have in mind. Wisdom is skill in living biblically. Uh, James is often called the Proverbs of the New Testament. And it's filled with this wisdom for practical living. Wisdom makes all the difference in how we handle trials two people can go through pretty much the same trial. One can emerge from that trial stronger and filled with gratitude. The other person going through a similar trial can emerge from the trial broken and bitter. What makes the difference is wisdom. This morning, James tells us three things about the wisdom that we need to handle trials. 
First, we gain wisdom. We gain wisdom by asking God for it. We gain wisdom by asking God for it. You know, trials don't come with an owner's manual. With instructions and diagrams, a handy troubleshooting section at the end. Trials don't come with an instruction manual, but that does not mean that we are left without guidance in our handling of the trials of our lives. Look at verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Uh, Today is Father's Day, and uh, it seems appropriate that we mention uh, dads as a source of help. You know, perhaps uh, you have a uh, uh, a project that you're working on, and your dad uh, maybe has experience in this, and so you call him in to help you out as you work on this project, and you know he's going to be receptive to you because he's your dad, and he's willing to help. But as much an expert as dad may be, as much experience as they might have, no matter how well-intentioned they are, they are no match for our Father in heaven. Because our Father in heaven is the one who designed this trial and brought this trial to us, tailored to our need. And He is the one that we turn to for the skill that we need to handle the trial in which we find ourselves. And what we're told here in verse 5 is that we are invited. God invites us to turn to Him. And we have full and continual access to the throne of grace to find mercy and help in time of need. All right, before we unpack this, though, what James is telling us in verse 5, we want to get our bearings. We want to understand this, what wisdom does. We want to understand the headwaters of wisdom, the starting point. In a sense, wisdom operates or functions like an operating system for faith. You know, we deal with operating systems all the time. There's an Apple operating system. There's a window operating system. Well, the operating system for faith is wisdom that is programmed to the fear of the Lord. Programmed to the fear of the Lord. We read that this morning in Proverbs 1. It said this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs uh, 9 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So you see how this works, is that wisdom, wisdom sets the course for us by the fear 
of the Lord. Now, what is the fear of the Lord? Well, it's not simply being afraid of God. Rather, fear of the Lord is holding a proper regard for God, a proper regard for God as God. See, this is the way it works. The fear of the Lord gives us a proper understanding of God in all His glory, that He is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in His being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth, that He is a holy, glorious, transcendent, present God. And as we look at this God in the fear of the Lord, we get a better understanding of ourselves in our weakness, in our frailties, in our foolishness. The fear of the Lord means this, that when we encounter a trial, the very first thing that we want to do is to lift our eyes to this God who is God. And we ask Him to take our hand to lead us through this trial. All right, let's return now to verse 5 in James. Notice how James um, frames this invitation to wisdom. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. All right, pretty straightforward, isn't it? How do we gain wisdom? We ask God for it. Now, God already knows everything about us. He knows the trial. He knows us. The trials are tailored to us. But God, even though He already knows what we need before we ask, God wants us to ask of Him. Because He wants us to handle this trial in relationship with Him, in fellowship with Him, in dependence upon Him. And the word that James uses when he says ask, it's not a one and done thing. It reminds me of when our kids want something. They just don't ask once. They ask and ask and ask. In other words, God wants us to have continuing reliance upon Him. And God assures us that if we ask, He will not only give us wisdom, He will give it generously, liberally, no strings attached, no stinginess. He will give it to us generously. We're also told that He will give it to us without reproach. We won't hear, are you back again? Or, you know, this, a good part of this trial is of your own doing. No, God gives that to, will give us wisdom without reproach, without judgment. Because He knows our weakness. He knows our struggles. I know this congregation, um, the, the books, uh, Gentle and Lowly, I think the book was called, was being given out. I know there was a study here 
uh, that book, and it's an excellent book because what it does is it shows us just how approachable and accessible is our God. And that's kind of what James is talking about here. I love one of the uh, expressions, I think it was in that book as well, as Jesus in the prophet Isaiah, one of the uh, suffering servant portions, says that, um, it describes Jesus this way, a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. And sometimes we feel like we're ready to expire, the smoldering wick. But a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. A bruised reed he will not break. And that's how our God invites us to come to Him to seek the wisdom that we need to handle the trials we face. Right, now, what do we say? What do we say when we ask God for wisdom? Well, there's no, no formula. There's no script. No set words. Really, it's a matter of this. It's a matter of coming before God and being real. Being real before Him. No Christian happy face. No correct theological terminology. No words this big. It's a matter of coming before God raw and real. We simply lay the trial before Him. Be honest with Him about our struggles, our doubts, our fears, our foolishness, our needs. Now, if you can't find words, well, the Spirit knows already and who groans for you. But one place that God gives us words is in the Psalms. Where the psalmist, the psalmist brings us to real life. And so the psalmist will wrestle with despair and lament and struggle and hardship. And right there in God's Word, it's written out for us words that we can appropriate and use for ourselves according to our own situation. And so it will be like the psalmist in Psalm 42 who says, Why are you in despair, O my soul? Why are you cast down? Hope in God. Just don't look at the waves. Look at God. Hope in God, for I shall yet praise Him. The help of my countenance and my God. Alright, we gain wisdom by asking for it. Secondly, God wants us to ask for wisdom in faith. God wants us to ask for wisdom in faith. Now James has just assured us uh, that God will give us the wisdom that we need to handle trials. He will give it to us generously and without reproach. It's ours for the asking, as much as we need, as long as we need it. But now, he shows us the fine print. Look at verse 6. But, let him ask in faith with no doubting. I don't know about you, but that makes me nervous. It makes me nervous because there are times when I have plenty of doubts. In fact, trials seem to bring an infestation of doubt. What is, it, what is James telling us here? 
Well, it's not anything that should surprise us. Because what is the overarching theme of James' letter? It has to do with faith. What saving faith looks like. Trials test our faith to show whether it is of God. Trials strengthen our faith by exercise. But to have faith does not mean that you don't doubt. To have faith does not mean that you do not doubt. What it means is that you don't straddle the fence. James gives us an illustration here to drive home his point so that we understand what he's talking about. Going on in verse 6, but let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. In other words, James says um, this doubting, it's, if you have faith and you are straddling the fence, what, it, what it's like is you're like a piece of driftwood. You have no solid foundation. You're like driftwood, and the wind blows this way, and you're over here, and the wind blows this way, and you're over here. See, James, when, he's, when he talks about this, he's not talking about uh, being, insecure, being insecure. Sometimes doubts can reflect insecurity. But what he's talking to us about here is not insecurity, it is instability. Instability. James goes on to describe the faith he has in mind. Verse 7, For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So, opposite of what um, the kind of faith that James is talking to us about here that we exercise is double-mindedness. Double-mindedness. You know, like, um, uh, you think you're trip to the dentist is going to be okay. Well, I'm praying that it will. I pray, pray to God. Knock on wood. Do you see the conflict there? And we can do that. Because this double-mindedness looks to God and idols. It has a dual allegiance. Genuine faith, saving faith, is not free from doubt. but it is single-minded. Genuine faith is single-minded. So what, because genuine faith wrestles with doubt, in its singleness of mind, it will pray something like this, Lord, I do believe. Help me in my unbelief. But it's not looking here and there. Its eyes are directly on the one source of help, and that is the living and true God. When James stresses asking in faith with no doubting, he's not teaching what we sometimes hear, that uh, if only you had enough faith, your child would be healed. Or if only you had more faith, your bank account would be full. 
Or if only your faith were stronger, you would not be going through this trial. That is not true. And James' point is not the amount of faith, but the object of faith. And he's urging us to a faith that fully, exclusively, stubbornly rests on God and His Word. When James calls us not to be double-minded, he's calling us to singleness of focus. And so the wisdom that he's saying, the wisdom that we need to handle trials, we're not, we don't need to go on a shopping expedition, going to this store and this store and this store. This wisdom is found at the throne of grace and received by faith fixed on the living God. I kind of remind you, um, in the, and uh, James will bring up Elijah uh, later on in his letter, but remind you of Elijah and his encounter with the prophets of Baal. Remember what Elijah said as he addressed, as he addressed the Israelites? He said, how long will you falter between two opinions? It can't be God and Baal. It's either God or Baal. And I'm going to show you who is the true God and the one in whom you are to trust. And he says that to us. Don't waver between two opinions. Or our Lord Jesus also talked about it in the Sermon on the Mount. Where he said, you can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and mammon. In chapter 4, James is going to... This, this is a problem for us in our Christian lives. and He's going to bring it up again. And he's going to address this uh, divided allegiance. And in James 4.8, this is what he says. Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. In other words, He wants us to have a focus solely on God. God wants our hearts. He wants us in trials to draw near to Him. He wants us to know the strength of His everlasting arms. He wants us to know the sufficiency of His amazing grace. And He wants us to know the intimacy of His presence with us. You know, it's an interesting question to ask ourselves in trials. And I've, I do this, I've learned to do it, and I find it helpful. And the question is this, how Am I being double-minded? Am I seeking God or am I trying to please another? So it's a helpful area for exploration when we face trials to ask, how am, how am I having a divided heart, a split allegiance? All right, we gain wisdom by asking God for it. God wants us to ask for wisdom in faith. And thirdly, and finally, wisdom is extended to the hand 
of humility. Wisdom is extended to the hand of humility. Look at verse 9. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. What does money have to do with trials and the wisdom we need to navigate the trials? It seems, as we read this, it seems like James has uh, changed subjects. He shifted the topic. But when we look at verse 12, he says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. So it appears he's still talking about trials, that he's not, that he's not moved on. Why this talk then about rich and poor? Well, actually, this is one of the reasons that James wrote his letter, is there was a, um, a persecution of sorts, uh, an oppression of the poor by the rich. And James is going to get into this in detail, beginning with chapter 2. But here, James is bringing up rich and poor for another reason. We can summarize his point this way. Whether we walk around in $200 sneakers or $2 flip-flops, we all walk the same path in an inhospitable world. And we all share a common need for wisdom. I remind us in verse 5, says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives to all without reproach. See, the any there and the all, that's not just for one type of person. That is for rich and poor alike. Wisdom enables us to understand three things in the trials we face. Three things. One, both prince and pauper, both prince and pauper are frail human beings in desperate need of God. Both rich and poor are frail human beings in desperate need of God. You know, the poor person is like a flower of the field that grows and blooms and withers and dies. But the rich man is just like that too. James says that we're cut from the same cloth. The lowly brother boasting in his exaltation, the rich in his humiliation, brings all to a level playing field. Both prince and pauper are frail, finite human beings in desperate need of God. The second thing to understand about wisdom is that whoever we are, whatever our station, our sufficiency is in God and not ourselves. Our strength is 
found in God and not in our own wherewithal. See, the problem, the problem with, uh, with wealth is not money. The problem with wealth is self-sufficiency. Well, wealth is, is a metaphor, it's a picture of relying on our own resources for our own ends to our own glory. What did Jesus say? He says, it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, that doesn't mean that the rich cannot be saved. It's just it means that the rich person who is inclined to depend on himself, to rely on his own resources, because that's what he's used to, he has to set those aside to come to Jesus Christ. It's a hurdle that must be overcome. The wisdom of God is most conspicuous in the gospel. I think one of the beauty, a beautiful picture of that is found in Isaiah chapter 55, where he says, Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. You who have no money, come. Buy and eat. Buy wine and milk without money and without cost. In other words, money is not about keep your checkbook at home. But then he presses this question, Isaiah does. Why do you spend money on what is not bread? And your wages on what does not satisfy? And then God says, listen to me and eat what is good. Listen to me. Come to me that your soul will delight in the richest affair. He says, listen, he says, um, incline your ear and come to me that your soul may live. Isn't that a great picture of wisdom and foolishness? God says, don't bring your resources. And what you do spend things on, make sure that you're understanding it by me. And so the gospel says that your salvation uh, does not come from what you do could do. You can never make up for past wrongs. You can never measure up to the standard of God. God says, no, come to me. Come to the living water that is Jesus Christ. Come and partake of the bread of life. Why do you pursue these ways that will not produce life? Come. God says, listen, that you may live. Or as Paul puts it, he speaks of Jesus, who is to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. All right, one other uh, thing we need to understand here for the wisdom that enables us to face trials, and that is this. It is in humility that we seek and submit. It is in humility that we seek and submit to the wisdom 
of God. You know, so often, trials come to us and we do not even recognize them. Here we're in the midst of some adversity in our lives, some hardship, some difficult thing that we are going through, and it never even occurs to us, hey, this is a trial. And when it doesn't occur to us that this is a trial, we're not inclined to say, well, what did God tell me about trials? How does He equip me for trials? What understanding am I to have about trials? Think of it. We go through difficult times, and we never we never put the label trial on it so that we can handle it as God has equipped us to handle it. It is only when we realize that it is a trial that we will make the connection that God is making a house call to check on our spiritual health, vitality, and maturity. Only then will we incline our ear to Him and cry out to Him, asking Him for the wisdom that He promises to see how He is at work in our lives. So as you process the trial, and I, we all go through trials, as you process the trial, ask questions. Ask questions of God. Lay yourself bare before God. And ask the physician of your soul to show you the condition of your heart. To show you where your heart is hardened against a brother or sister. To show where your heart is hardened, where you are casting a deaf ear before God, where you know what to think, where you know what to do, but you have hardened your heart against it. Ask God to show you that. Ask Him to show you where your heart has a dual allegiance, where you might be seeking idols, where you might be seeking to please those in the culture contrary to what God has said. Ask God to show you where your heart is diseased with anger or bitterness or resentment or worry. Ask God to show you what is blocking your heart from pumping the lifeblood of love that should be coursing through it. See, because here's the thing. If we ask God for wisdom, then we must be receptive and responsive to what He shows us. If we ask God for wisdom, and we're called to do that, right? Then we must listen when He answers. We must be receptive and responsive to His answers. All right, let me wrap things up. I am um, what you might call directionally challenged. Uh, for me, the greatest technological advancement is the GPS. Uh, a friend and I... Uh, would go out to uh, lunch at a place that we both enjoyed, but uh, this place, this restaurant, was in his neck of the woods. So I would go up to where he was, I would drive, and invariably, invariably, I would have to ask for turn-by-turn directions. Even after I had gone there with him several times, 
Well, my friend would patiently tell me which way to go, and I would be embarrassed to ask yet again for directions. But my friend would always respond to me with all the information that I needed, and he would give me that information without criticism, at least out loud. But the thing is that the Bible says that we are all directionally challenged. As the proverb puts it, there is a way which seems right to a man. It seems right, but its end is the way of death. We all have a built-in misalignment. Left to our own way, we can easily go astray. And that is precisely why we need wisdom. And God lets us know that this wisdom that we need, it's ours for the asking. I'm going to close in prayer with David's prayer from Psalm 139. So let me pray. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.